Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Solo Collective. This time we're going to be talking about technology. And I cannot say that I'm a technology expert, particularly not when it comes to kind of workplace technologies. I use some (laughs) because we all do and we all have to, but it's kind of one of those topics that I approach with a little bit of reluctance and a little bit of trepidation. So I'm hopeful that today is going to be illuminating. But I also, I wanted to talk about the way that it impacts us and how we work and how we feel about our work and the extent to which some digital technologies can maybe make things more difficult, even when they're supposed to make things easier. So I wanted to have quite a big conversation about that with Charlotte G, who writes for the MIT Technology Review. And she also writes a daily technology newsletter called The Download. And before that, she was editor of Tech World, all of which is to say that she knows an awful lot more about this stuff than I do. However, I have written a little bit about stuff to do with online collaboration and digital presenteeism and the way in which the digital line is getting more and more blurred between work life and home life, particularly in the last couple of years, obviously, with everything that's happened to all of us. What I'm really hoping to get out of this conversation is a sense of how we can better control technology so that it works for us. I also want to talk to Charlotte about what comes next, like what comes next for work and what comes next for technology. I just think we need to be perhaps a little bit more cautious than we have been historically when it comes to what we do with technology and work and the way in which it kind of intersects to do things which are kind of supposedly helpful but not but don't end up necessarily enriching our lives I think it needs to be more about where does technology sit philosophically in our lives, in our working lives, in our personal lives? Are we making conscious decisions or do organisations keep bringing out new technology that looks really shiny and so we all jump on board with it without thinking about the consequences? Thank you very much for joining me on the Solo Collective today. This is like a big topic for me in as much as I'm really fascinated by the way in which tech influences the way that we work and I'm also really worried about it <laughs> um, in that I think there are some really brilliant things that um, that are happening with the way that particularly work from home is made more functional um, by things like video calling but I also have done enough research and writing to know that there's some really difficult aspects of that and that things that go well beyond zoom fatigue so I'm fascinated to get into all of that stuff with you. How, I guess, first of all, how do you feel about the intersection of technology and work? Does it kind of excite you? Does it, are you kind of nervous about it? Or how do you feel about it as somebody who's kind of more mired in the topic than I am? I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I think it is very exciting. I think it opens up a lot more flexibility and freedom for people. But 
that all depends on whether or not we can keep people's hours to a sort of reasonable limit. I think, you know, I was reading a really interesting piece in The New Yorker yesterday, which basically said left to their own devices, most people overwork by about 20%. And I found that fascinating because it kind of shows, you know, there really is nothing stopping us from working anytime we're not asleep right now. So I think the technology is fantastic, but it just makes it so important that we do have limits on our working time. I find it fascinating when people worry, particularly managers, worry about the risk of slacking off. That isn't the risk. Mm. Like fundamentally, the fraction of the fraction of people who do that is so tiny. What you should really be worrying about among your workforce is overwork and burnout. Yeah. And digital presenteeism, not slacking off or procrastination. Like those are not big problems. And I'm not sure that message has really got through to the higher ups in most industries, which I find really extraordinary given the kind of deluge of information to the contrary, which is coming through. (laughs) Do you find that as well? Yeah, I do. I think it's weird. I think there's kind of like this, this, uh, this band of old men, basically, who, Mm who are still setting policies, who perhaps grew up working in kind of environments where there wasn't a lot of trust and are are kind of replicating that. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of overgeneralizing, but it feels like it's a, it's a very old fashioned way to look at things. And I, and I also think that it's not really how you get the best out of people. People don't really work well when they constantly think that they're being monitored and watched. And I think that if we can escape some of those dynamics, then that's something to be kind of grabbed at rather than something to fear. But also a different kind of being your own boss, I guess, because if we're if we're working by ourselves, whether that whether we're working for somebody or for ourselves, we need to get better at monitoring our own hours and having end points to our days and beginning points to our working days, which is something I struggle with hugely. But I don't think that individuals have kind of navigated that stuff maybe any better than the old white middle-class men who are <laughs> who are setting policies. I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's difficult because I think that it's, it, it's a variety of things, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like the having a culture where you work, which encourages people to have, to have boundaries and to have, to have limits, but it's also sort of being maybe brave or a bit confident enough to, to enforce them because, you know, I work in a team where there are people across uh, three or four different time zones. And I, I'm quite clear to my colleagues that I'm not going to routinely be working after 6pm. Generally speaking, I'm fairly clear that if it's after 6pm UK time, I'm I'm just not, I'm not going to see your message. I'm not going to be notified about it. So, but that does require you to kind of be confident. I think perhaps for people starting out in their careers, that might be a bit more difficult to be able to say, well, tough luck, you can't get me until tomorrow. Yeah, that's really challenging. I mean, I'm thinking back to sort of 15, 16 years ago when I worked in an office and my editor would think nothing of messaging me like just by old fashioned text message on the weekend, on a Sunday morning, you know, with ideas or whatever. She just didn't ever hit the off button for herself. That did have quite a profound effect on me. And um, in two different ways. One, it meant that I was kind of constantly on and kind of stressed um, and knew that at any moment I could be back in called back into work mode. More than that, I think it set a tone for my working life, which took years to unpick, if indeed I even have. 
And now that technology has enabled so much more connectivity beyond working hours, all of those patterns have just been reinforced for all of us, not just for me. I think it's difficult because when you look at, you know, when it really comes down to, if you look at the number of hours that most people need to do their job, I don't think most people work more than six hours a day. No. If they're, be, if they're being really, like, really, really honest with themselves, like I write a daily newsletter every morning and that takes, you know, four, about four hours of my day. And I reckon once I've done that, and I don't just mean like hours I'm sitting at my desk. I mean, hours of really productive work. I don't think I'm actually physically capable of more than another couple of hours of really intense work. Yeah. So I don't really see the point in us kind of pretending otherwise. I think we may as well grasp at the opportunity to be more productive. Like we all know working shorter hours is better for us. So yeah, I think we should just kind of go for it and let go of a lot of hang-ups we've got about how you've got to be working 40 hours a week, 45, 50, 60. It's not good for you. I mean, there's really good data to show that human beings can only work for four hours a day. There's lots of good data about this um, four-hour working day thing, but there's also interesting research that was done pre-pandemic that suggested that people who work in offices work work for an average of two hours and 35 minutes or so a day <laughs> because of the nature of all the interruptions. But again, that suggests that we needn't drive ourselves as hard. If we were all getting that much done when we were in offices, then why are we sort of sitting at our desks for eight or 10 hours a day now? Which actually leads me on to something I wanted to talk to you about. So digital presenteeism is something that I um, think about quite a lot. Obviously, some people who work by themselves are just working on their own completely. But I did a piece of work about like digital platforms, virtual working worlds um, for The Guardian a few months back. And it kind of opened up this world that I didn't realize, realize existed of online spaces effectively where you can go to work, which have some benefits in terms of creating community and all of that stuff, but also just seemed to me to be a way of sitting at your desk at home, but waving a flag to your boss and colleagues saying, I'm at work. And I wondered what you thought about that, because I find that really disturbing. I don't love it because I I don't really like seeing people trying to replicate the exact same thing uh, offline, online as a, as a rule, because I just think that it's it's like a failure of imagination, I guess, um, to, just, to just do the exact same thing. I just don't really see the point. Um, mm. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with something better than that for you. I mean, you look at you look at stuff like I don't know Facebook announcing you know, the metaverse. Sort of, this is an example, uh, slightly similar to what you're discussing, and it just feels so divorced from what most people want that that I just don't really I don't really entirely see the purpose of it. I think it's all exciting for like a handful of very techie people. For ordinary people, I just think it looks really bleak and slightly dystopian. So, yeah, I'm 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 with you. I, I think it's a bit depressing. I I mean, I think there are bits of it that can work. So, um, one of the one of the things that I wrote about was Gather Town Gather. I thought that had some real positives in terms of the spatial audio and the way that you can kind of walk away from people, as it were, um, and have quieter conversations with different people, but still hear a background conversation going on in a more sort of natural way. And then I also really like, there's another one called um, Hubs, 
by Mozilla, which I'm sure you know about as well. And I sat in on a um, product design class. That was fascinating because it showed the capacity in much greater capacity than you have in real life. They were designing a driverless taxi as a class and they could all sort of fly around this taxi because the taxi was in the center of the screen. And so they could see the design from a much greater number of angles than they would ever have been able to had they been doing it in a classroom situation. So I'm not sort of down on the idea of using virtual stuff in very precise situations. But the thing that I found weird was one which was more like being in a SimCity kind of a game. In fact, it wasn't even like that. It was more like Second Life, where you had an avatar and you were walking through corridors and the corridors looked like an office park in Reading. And I just thought, why are we doing this? I think you've just sort of hit the nail on the head. If it's for a particularly good reason, like if you are, like you say, if you are working on a shared project, a shared product, stuff like that, if you're looking at looking at something collaboratively, then yes, I can I can sort of see the purpose of that. You know, you, you look at stuff like virtual events, you know, a lot, a lot of people are, are kind of down on these, but I think that when they're done properly, they can be fantastic. And you can end up in a room with people who are from all over the world and you really just wouldn't get that um, in person. So I think, you know, there are huge opportunities if we if we grasp them and if we kind of go about grasping them in the right way. I guess it's just finding out, you know, where is this genuinely useful and where is it a bit gimmicky? Yeah. Um, and, and then kind of use, using the useful bits and, and dodging the gimmicks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So so let's talk a bit about platforms because I'm interested in this idea that some people are suited to some of them and some aren't. So the platforms that you use, do you think they're particularly good platforms? I mean, what are they? So I use a mix of things. I use Slack, um, like a lot of a lot of people, and I use Outlook and I use Gmail. I use a lot of Google stuff. I use um, Google Docs for mm-hmm. filing stuff and my editor editing it. That's all. That all goes through Google Docs, and I use. Mailchimp because I send out newsletters mm-hmm. and yeah that kind of general suite of things and we also use a couple of things that are just weirdly unique to where I work like their systems that were built within um, the the particular office that I'm based in at Tech Review. Uh, not massively beloved of those ones to be honest. What do you think of things like Slack because I only started using Slack about a year ago and not entirely convinced that I can see the benefit of it over email. I know what you mean. It's funny, isn't it? Because I don't know why people have this thing about email. You know, it, emails are terrible. I hate emails. That slightly baffles me because I'm not sure why an email is is materially 
better or worse than a Slack message. They're both messages that have to be dealt with. But anyway, I, maybe other people find emails more stressful than, than I do. The thing with Slack is you really need to customize your settings if you use it. You need to pick like, what are you notified about? And when are you willing to be notified and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So I only kind of realized this when I started working for MIT Technology Review three years ago, I didn't know that I could do this. So I was just available all the time. I honestly, I think managing your notifications is pretty much the key to mental well-being while using technology. Like just don't be notified about everything. That will that will definitely make you feel very stressed. Because that's I feel like that's one of the problems with WhatsApp. Um, is that it's not as customizable. Mm. I mean, obviously you can snooze groups and things like that, but I don't feel like it's as escapable as Slack and to a certain extent email as well, because you can just not look at your email, but because WhatsApp seems to have created this like horrible smudging between <laughs> work stuff and personal stuff. And yeah, it's like, it's very problematic, isn't it? Because if you go in to look at a personal message, you'll see whether you've got like, 24 messages from a work group. It is really hard. You can turn, you can turn off read receipts on WhatsApp. When I, when I look at it, I can't see if people have read my messages, but they also can't see if I've read theirs, but they can see if you're online. So that absolutely over overrules that. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I really try to avoid it for work because it's, like you say, it's just a bit of a smushing together of things. So on that, given the kind of um, fatiguing nature of lots of, of having to use lots of platforms, can we talk a bit about Zoom fatigue? Sure. Because it's one of those things which kind of gets banded around a lot. Can you tell us a bit more about what it actually is and how it happens? Zoom is really unnatural. Like we don't communicate by staring into someone's eyes nonstop, <laughs> like I'm looking at yours right now. That's just, that's not how human beings normally communicate. And it is, it is a particularly tiring way to do it. And also we're not really meant to stare at our own faces yeah. as much as we do on Zoom because that that is what everyone does. Uh, I mean, you talk to people and you are probably both just looking at your own face <laughs> yeah. for a significant amount of the call. It's just, I don't know why. I, I'm not sure the exact kind of mecha mechanics or the human psychology of why we stare at our own face, but we do. So yeah, it's, it's basically just kind of because it's so unnatural and that makes it just exhausting. I think that I think there has been some research into kind of how much people can cope with Zoom in a day. And it's not that long. Like ch children, I, I look at kind of how much kids have, have been on Zoom in the last year. That's that's completely unnatural. Like if you're doing more than three hours of Zoom calls in a day, like you are going to be really, really tired. And I, I honestly think it's no surprise that kids have got pretty restive with remote learning. Yeah, I mean, as the parent of a child who was stuck on video for so much of last year, I, I have to agree. Like, I find Zoom and other similar platforms really, really exhausting. I often give talks to my own face, which <laughs> I find really horrible. Yeah. Because everybody else's camera will be off or I'll be doing it with on a platform which uses Zoom, but on which I can't see the rest of the action on the platform because I'm just presenting. And then you just have your, a screen filled with their own face. I was literally just reading about this today. You know, people are starting to really hate their faces. Mm -hmm. Like there's Zoom dysmorphia is yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, it's And it's pretty, pretty worrying. 
I mean, people forget as well that like when you look at your face through a video, that isn't actually what you look like, which I know sounds an odd thing to say because people, well, of course it is. I mean, I'm looking at my own face. That is what I look like, but it's really not. That's not how someone looking at you is going to see you. So yeah, I, I just think that that, that that whole trend of uh, staring at each, each other's faces and our own faces intensely for hours at a time, not great. I, do you know what? The, my, my best kind of advice for that would definitely be just like do more phone calls, just phone calls. Like I, I regularly will have a chat with my editor if, if I just want to like throw some ideas around and I'll just, just give him a call. And honestly, it's, um, it's much, much easier. And also it means that you can focus on what the person's actually saying and not what they look like. I'm not saying it's right for every call, but I just think really asking yourself, does this need to be a video call might save you a whole lot of stress. So let's talk a bit about digital surveillance because um, we talked about digital presenteeism and the problem of that. But one of the other things that emerged when I was working on this piece was that, and I, I really didn't realise that, but that people were being actually actively monitored in terms of their numbers of calls, um, their me- number of messages, who were the messages to, maybe even the content of the messages. I mean, there are other organisations which are monitoring keystrokes. There are some horrific um, stories around um, companies which are monitoring people through via webcams. Mm. I'm sure you've come across the French um, company, which is you get there's an alert sent to the central um, part of the business if a face which isn't yours comes into the screen, <laughs> i.e., your child's. I'm guessing. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, there's there's a lot of couching this in kind of like, oh, it's it's security, it's privacy concerns, blah blah blah. But it's not, is it? It's literally about a lack of trust and an inability to say people can get on with their work, and we will we will believe that they will do it. We will default to a position of trusting our employees rather than defaulting to a position of not trusting them, which seems to be where we're at now. So what what do you think about all of that? Because that feels very risky to me. I find it sinister. I do think that it's a trend that we have to really push back on. I, I think that it it definitely is worrying. I don't see anything wrong with like accountability, which you provide yourself to your employer. That's fine. And kind of that's, you know, that's kind of clear, but surveillance, I think, is is where we have to draw the line. Also, it's it's actually pretty dangerous because once you start creating a new, you know, webcam feed that's streamed through the internet, you are creating a massive security risk for that person. So it's just it's like why collect data that you don't fundamentally need to collect? Um, it sort of just just creates a whole a whole new range of risks. So what's the risk? What's the what's the what could be done with that data? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, you you look at like there's a lot of like just potential unpleasant voyeurism that could happen there. Right. There there is weirdly a market for illicit webcam streams in some parts of the world, which I know sounds really odd, but there is. I mean, I'm less concerned about it being, well, I'm not unconcerned about it being streamed into onto a random website, but I am concerned with the idea of it being streamed into the head of security's office in X company for whom I'm working. Like that to me seems almost worse because then you're being monitored in a I'm not saying that they have voyeuristic motivations, but you're being monitored in a way which is essentially kind of voyeuristic. Yeah, it is. And and also like companies are really pushing to kind of 
introduce AI and like machine learning and computer vision into a lot of this stuff. And that in itself is worrying because AI makes mistakes a lot. And, you know, if, if it kind of says, oh, well, that's not that person's face or something like that. Like if you look at the kind of levels of accuracy with AI when it comes to like black people or women or, you know, people, people of different groups, it's way less accurate than it is for white men. So you sort of think it's not just that you're unleashing these technologies on people, but you're unleashing kind of unequitable technologies on people. Yeah. So that that's kind of that that's pretty concerning to me. So and also I I just think it's kind of like a precedent, isn't it? It's like if you're willing to put up with this, what else could be coming further down the line? So I think but I do appreciate it can be really hard for employees to speak up about stuff like this. That stuff is all really negative and worrying. What are the positive things about the way in which technology is enabling work from home? I've heard people argue that there's possibilities for greater inclusion, more diverse workforces. If people are more dispersed around the country, it makes economic opportunities different because of where people can live. What do you think about the kind of future in that sense, in terms of what technology might enable more broadly? Yeah, I think it's funny because despite everything I've said, I'm actually really optimistic and happy that this is happening. You know, arguably, there's never been a better time for us to have this experience in terms of technology, because just, just imagine even 10 years ago, we would not have had anything like the sort of technological tooling available that, that we do now. And it would have been a lot harder. It just, it makes people happy. That's like the big reason. People didn't like commuting five days a week. They just generally hate it. I'm not saying that everyone wants to be fully remote kind of every day, but I just think having that flexibility and having that autonomy, you know, people can have more time to spend with their children, more time to cook their own meals and exercise. And, you know, I think that if we can be sort of optimistic and and really kind of grasp the opportunities there's there's a lot to be excited about i guess it's just kind of managing it in um in a reasonable way i wonder what's going to happen when international travel opens back up because i really wonder if people are gonna are gonna sort of decide to be to be based overseas if they can you hear about kind of digital nomads i i certainly have heard from friends who work in places where people have like secretly been working from somewhere else i mean i think that it requires uh transparency and trust on kind of both sides I, i i think you do kind of have to be honest um even if it does feel a bit irrelevant where you are i think it's it's worthwhile i mean it does have implications some people for like there's tax implications for organizations if they're employing people who are overseas and things like that. So it's, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it can be quite harsh on the organization for whom you're working <laughs> if you don't tell them. Yeah, if you're going for a long time, I think, yeah, then that, that's that's part of like, um, yeah, that's sort of a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, I think, I, think the, I think the interesting thing around remote work will just be like, I, I still can't figure out kind of what's going to happen to cities and whether a lot of people sort of, Fairly, fairly quick to say, oh, people are going to move out of cities. I don't actually know because in a, in a funny way, when you're working remotely, it almost makes you keener to do stuff in your spare time, whether it's meeting people at lunchtime for a walk or in the evening or socialising. So I'm not sure. I think in a, in a funny way, where you live actually 
kind of does continue to matter a lot because it's taking a lot of the weight of your social life, which you may have got from an office before. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's it's a fascinating time. But I think the one thing's for sure, like we're never going back to the way things were before. Do you have any thoughts about like tech addiction and the kind of the, the dopamine question as far as how we manage it and how we, particularly when it comes to work, because I'm just very aware that particularly even for me, even though I know about this stuff, I've written chapters on this stuff, do workshops on this stuff, I'm still very much enthralled to my phone. And again, it's created this very, very blurred boundary between what, what counts as work and what counts as personal. And and when those two are separate, you know, what times of day they're separate and when I'm working and when I'm not working and all that stuff. And I kind of feel like if I know all the stuff and I know all the data and it's still very pernicious in my own life, then, you know, that's going to be writ large for huge numbers of people. Not everybody. My husband, for example, is like very militant and very, very good at kind of creating very uh, strong boundaries and minimising his time on his phone. But I'm guessing that's quite rare. Despite being a technology journalist, I I kind of don't actually use my phone <laughs> loads. Do you know what it was? It started in the pandemic with uh, doom scrolling Twitter right. while sitting just just like in front of the TV. And I realised that I was doing this and I don't really know what made me aware of it, but I just was like, this is making me so unhappy and I keep doing this and I really need to stop because like a lot of my job is looking at the news. I'm looking at news articles for like at least half my working day. So in reality, like it's not going to go anywhere. It's still going to be there the next day. So just kind of put it down, leave it alone. You can come back to it. So now I don't I don't have Twitter on my phone. I don't have Facebook on my phone. I do have Instagram, which I carefully curated. So it's basically just like people I care about seeing them, their children, their pets, their holidays, stuff like that. But really, I just thought to myself, like, is this making me happy? But crucially, what what am I not doing because I'm doing this? And you know, since then, I have been reading so much more. I've been writing fiction. I've just been doing so much stuff that makes me happy. And I think I'm just all round feeling a lot more cheerful as a result. So I really say to people, like, I don't know if technology addiction is a an official DSM kind <laughs> of... I don't know if it's an official addiction per se but I certainly do think that technology design is addictive and it is designed to be addictive that's the way that that our phones and our apps are kind of meant to be. I was wondering if there are any apps or any kind of limiting programs that you use that are that are good because I have installed quite a lot of them and I'm just really good at working around them my, my <laughs> yeah. lizard brain is just like no 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 here's the password or whatever. Yeah I just don't really buy I don't really buy into any of them because exactly that, like, you you know, kind of, you, you can't outsource your willpower to an app. It's just not. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, I know. Do you know what, though? We all, like, want that, don't we? Yeah. We really, really want that, like, really that do. kind of easy, quick fix. It's, it's hard. I think also just, like, 
just don't beat yourself up about it too much. Like, on, honestly, everyone kind of is, is grappling with a lot of this stuff. And I think especially in the last year and a half, uh, you know, our phones have been our whole lives mm-hmm. and like our portal to everything. So, yeah, if you're struggling with it and you're finding that you're, you've got some unhealthy habits, just don't. Don't beat yourself up too much. Like, sure, work on them, but just bear in mind everyone is in the same boat. Do you think there's like a next big thing in work from home technology? Like, do you think it's going to be, I mean, I don't think it will be, and I think I can guess your answer, but like, is it Facebook and it's um, virtual reality goggles for your virtual reality office? Or is it the... um, the much talked about, but I'm sure hardly likely to happen, the holographic video calls where you can hologram a whole person into your office and they <laughs> will be able to see your whole body and whether you're wearing trousers or not. Like, is that, <laughs> you know, is that stuff really going to come to pass or is it something much more sort of simple and straightforward, do you think? I think it'll just be something a lot more simple and straightforward. Because the thing is, like, the people who come up with these products and who get excited about them are basically fairly well off Silicon Valley tech bros. Yeah. And like that, that that's the that's that's the kind of market, I guess, for that. But that's not who most people are. Most people want something functional that allows them to get done what they need to get done. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong, like that stuff's all fun. If people want to use it, then like go for it, you know, if it if it's enjoyable or whatever. I don't really I honestly I don't think that we it, we have found it yet. I don't think it's been predicted or talked about. I don't think we know what it is. Mm. You know, Zoom, like for all that it existed before, people really didn't foresee that something is basic because really Zoom is quite basic. Um, I don't think anyone foresaw that that would be quite as as big a, a kind of game changer as, as it was. So yeah, I I don't think we know what it is. I think that it will be something small though and something that replicates some degree of of kind of intimacy small scale, small scale gathering i don't think it'll be like a big a big big thing um what that will be i don't know people have talked a lot about whether you could replicate stuff like touch virtually i find that all kind of quite interesting um you know i'd love someone to invent the technology like i haven't seen my sister for 2 years now and she lives she lives in in the us um if someone could invent the technology that could allow me to give her a hug, I would pay handsomely for that. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think there is an, a kind of gap, an intimacy gap somewhere in technology. Uh, I, don't, I have no idea what that would look like. But if someone could come up with a product that could meaningfully replicate some of that human intimacy, I think that that would do brilliantly. But good luck with that one. <laughs> it's the holy grail. Charlotte, thanks so much for this conversation. Um, it's been so interesting. And I love that we haven't kind of come out of it with a set of masses of tech recommendations, because I think that would have felt really strange <laughs> to me. Um, so, so yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, I really loved Charlotte's pragmatic approach to technology. It would be so easy to make this episode into one which was just about the kind of nitty gritty of tech and the specific bits of it that you can use for work Um, and I think that would have been interesting and 
probably quite fun, but it's not actually what the Solo Collective is all about, which is about helping us think more deeply about the way in which we work when we work by ourselves. And so I'm really grateful that ultimately our conclusion was about, I think, that there isn't going to be a piece of technology which acts as a brilliant and bright solution to all of our work from home troubles. Nothing's going to nothing's going to make everything perfect and easy, not without some kind of price being attached to it. And I think that we need to think about the ways in which technology is designed to keep us on it and using it. And we need to be aware of that so that we can make sure that we're really only using tech in ways that benefit us rather than serve the technology itself. You have been listening to The Solo Collective with me, Rebecca Seal, a Chalk and Blade original produced by Fatuma Keira. The senior producer was Laura Hyde, original music by Dee Plume and engineering by Matt Nielsen. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Chalk and Blade.